You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. Uh, who, who actually accomplished their 2022 goals? Did you do it? I want to I know. Did you really? I love the person that just like, I like to raise my hand and just see what happens when I stir because I was going to ask you, like, how you do it, because I just don't know anybody who actually, like, goes from January to December. That's incredible. I just give yourself a round of applause, I guess, if that's you. I don't know. Maybe we just give ourselves a round of applause for trying. I was going to ask, you know, uh, how, how you accomplish something that you set out to do from January um, all to December. Um, I had a couple of uh, ideas. I don't know if you call them resolutions. I wanted to learn Mandarin last year. Uh, my good friend Taylor, who's leading the prayer thing tonight or this afternoon, was in the house, and he got me on something called Duolingo. This is cute little cartoon character thing that kind of makes you feel like Mandarin isn't just learning about physics or something. Mandarin, by the way, as a Chinese person, is the hardest possible language. One time I tried to learn Mandarin in college. I was like, this is my year. I'm going to do it. And I signed up. This is 18, 19 years old. And Lo and of course, you know what's going to happen. I show up there, and it's 30 Chinese people just speaking fluent Chinese, like ready to get an A. And I worked so hard and got a C, and it was the best that I possibly could have done. But there's this little character on Duolingo that I called in my heart, Poppy. He has a little mustache, and uh, he just like, I want his approval, you know? Like, he motivates me because he's so happy for me. Like, well, like, I just go crazy on the Chinese and he's happy. And then when I mess up, he's like so sad. And I was like pretty motivated until January 26th to keep going. But it's, it's, like, it's like sometimes the goals you make start making goals of you. Like they just start owning you. And, 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 uh, and this little poppy guy, he was just in my, in my head and in my dreams, just tisking me all the time, you know? So I had to just quit because it was getting dysfunctional and toxic. Had to get out of poppy because it was, it was, it was no, longer, no longer helpful. Uh, you know, because like I'm like skipping cooking dinner for the kids because I got to make sure I get my streak and don't let the streak die. Um, I was in the gym quite a bit this year again because, you know, I had an idea, not a resolution. I uh, only skipped a couple of weeks because I broke my nose. And, uh, you know, so welcome to middle age. You know, things that I never did before in my body is like not working as much. And, um, and probably something that I am truly grateful for is um, uh, I just had this thing about being more reconnected to family, like blood family. Like, even the ones I don't necessarily get along with or the ones that I don't talk to a lot, it's like, there's just people that have been there for you, and that says something. Uh, And anyways, the Lord's kind of doing something, I think, in my heart. Um, As, like, cynical as you are, you know, about New Year's resolutions, there's something pretty um, uh, conducive to resolutions between the 25th and the 1st. Have you noticed that? I don't know. There's something about the fogginess of the air. I feel like I'm in an Ernst Hemingway poem outside. And, uh, you know, you're rested. Like, did you get some sleep finally? I mean, I feel like I just have so many ideas, and I'm excited and full up, and, and I'm encouraged. And, and uh, lo and behold, you know, the old Sabbath can do something for you. I guess, you know, Moses wasn't all that wrong about that. Um, and you feel reconnected. There's just something happens when you, you can't spend a day with somebody. It's like three or four days, and all of a sudden, uh, all of the barriers, you know, they kind of fall down and there's this bonding that happens. It doesn't have to do with age or it doesn't have to necessarily do with the activities. It just has to do with uninterrupted time with one another, puts you back in communion with people around you. And there's something that has to matter about that that changes the way we think and, and we feel. And, um, and so um, there, there seems to be between the 25th and the 1st this perspective that comes from pullback. 
Like if you were to go up on Table Rock and look down on the view in the valley, it looks different from that perspective. And something about that uninterrupted time with people and that time of sleep and recharging puts your mind and your heart and your attitude in this new place that can look at things in your world that you've seen a hundred times, but you see it new in a new way. And you can all of a sudden point out the patterns of dysfunction and problems and things that you've been doing over and over and over again, stubbing your toe over and over and over again, but never learning the lesson. You can see it for what it is all of a sudden, and you can see the things that are not urgent but super important that make you say, I don't know if I believe in goals, but I do think that intentions matter because the world has such a sway on our hearts and on our minds that if we don't set our intentions in just the right way, maybe we would miss the important for the urgent. So there's something conducive about that that I think all of us as cynical as we are about goals, you know, we want to set our steps in a certain way. And I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but the hardest thing about that reality, about the 25th to the 1st of getting to pull back to see a new perspective, is that after Sunday comes Monday. Tomorrow's Monday, and there's nothing that we can do, the calendar can do, or uh, Dolly Parton up there singing last night, can do to change the ball dropping, that tomorrow that kid is still going to be in your class. And uh, tomorrow, that boss is still going to be in the office. And tomorrow, you're not going to have as much time with your kids. And you're going to have to rush them through the chores and the dance recitals and the bills and all those things. Like, the reality of the mountain from the 25th to the 1st is not the reality of the valley, or at least the viewpoint of it. Tomorrow's Monday, which means that between the 25th and the 1st, in all the ways that you feel full and connected and rested, you're going to be in threat of being empty, lonely, and tired in 24 hours or less. And all those goals and everything you saw up on, on the top of that mountain won't matter if that view isn't carried down back, back into the valley. And so I thought it would be beneficial today, this morning, I thought it'd be profitable just to spend a few brief minutes together. I know with the family service, you might be a little more brief, but um, that we would remember grace this morning. Um, old Adam Sandler song helps you remember when you leave the house, don't forget your phone wallet keys. Got to have my phone wallet keys. Well, the phone wallet keys. You got to remember the phone wallet keys. Nowadays, my wallet's attached to my phone, so it's like, I don't have a good memory. But if there's like one thing, you know, if you, if you really did like go to the Lord that you wouldn't want to leave home without, you wouldn't want to enter into 2023 without, it's like the grace of the Lord on your life. Grace. This is what uh, Ephesians 2, uh, read earlier by Kyra, verse 8 says, For it is by grace that you're here today. Grace that you're alive and grace that you have joy and grace that he's not done with you yet and grace that you're changing and grace that you have the right people in your life and grace that there's angels around you. Like it's, it's the gift, really, that's here with you today. It's just gift that God's given us. Perennial grace, like general grace, but also covenantal Jesus grace that you have with you because of the, of the cross. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. The biblical definition of grace, it, it's not enabling you or me to just do whatever we want and expect there's you know, no consequences. Like, grace is not enabling, grace is empowering. 
which means that, that grace isn't more chances. Seven times 77, yes. But even better than that is grace means he chooses you. Tomorrow is Monday, and even though you're off the mountain and into the valley, he's still choosing you, whether you can see it or not. And grace is not a couch, just that it comforts you and it's cozy. Grace is like a car, and it takes you, it picks you up in death and transgression and selfishness and licentiousness. It's just backwardsness, and it, and it doesn't leave you where it found you. It's taking you somewhere. It's taking you to the life that God wants to give you. So, so it's not just a couch. It's a, it's a car. It changes us. A lot of times we think about grace as like the thing that we needed when we're sobbing at the altar when we were in middle school. That was grace. But now it's my job to pick up the pace. It was grace then, but it's also grace right now. Because grace is, is, is choosing us and changing us, and it's still not done yet. It's going to continue to complete us like until... We are completely made whole and new and full in the, in the new creation, the new age. Grace will not retire. It's still with you like an old friend. It chooses you, changes you, and carries you all the way into the new creation. And this is what it says. So, so he gives the definition, then he kind of gives and ex- explains it. And he says, for it is not yourselves, it's not by yourself, it is a gift of God. And then it's like he gives you an analogy that 2022 or all the way back in, you know, early, early um, Israel, like, would, would be the same thing. Like, if you go and clock in on Monday and you get a paycheck, that's not grace. If they don't pay you at your job, change jobs, because they're supposed to pay you. You deserve a paycheck for your work. But that's not what this is about. Grace is not a paycheck. Grace is a gift, and it's, it's given to you. It's given to you absolutely uh, for free. It's not a wage. And then he, he gives this illustration. He says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. In fact, grace is so powerful and prevenient that it, it even says that the good things that come out of us, they actually weren't us. They were God's work in the first place. So um, the word there, uh, handiwork, poema, you might have heard of this before. It means poem. And, and not all of us you know, or writers or authors or, or poets don't work with words, but maybe you're more of a left brain person and you've built a deck before, and so you could think of a deck. Uh, or maybe uh, you're somewhere between the middle and uh, you've never built a deck before or written a play or written a screenplay, but you've sewn something before, you've made anything before. Paul gives us this sermon illustration in the middle of this definition of the word grace. He gives us this picture, and he says that you and me, we are, we're like this poem or this project that is half done but not completely done and, we're done and we're in his workshop, that his fingerprints are all around our lives and that he's started something, a work in our lives through grace that he started but he's not yet completed. And if you were to drop down halfway in between the story of the beginning and the end, maybe you wouldn't actually know the goal or the end or how the now is going to get to the completion of it you wouldn't necessarily know, but Ephesians, Paul is telling us that there's a purpose for us being in that workshop, and that is so that he will complete us to make us like Jesus. And, and so this is what the purpose of grace is, is not permission, but for salvation. There it says, for it is by grace that you have been saved. That is a past, present, and future 
a future word. It means that he is, um, he's taking all of the death in our life and he is transforming it day by day by his grace to be given over to life. And the only reason why he does this, it says in, uh, in, 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 verse, uh, in verse 9, for by works, or not by works so that no one will boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus, do good works with God, had prepared in us to do. The only reason why he does this uh, is, because, is because of grace. And so, uh, you know, this is, I went back on my, my YouTube over the, over the holidays and listened to my last three sermons, and I apologize, I keep talking about, I'm turning 39 on Wednesday. So you're just going to have to deal with it. That's what apparently 40-year-olds do. They just talk about turning 40. It's just a big deal. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm 38 going on 39. And uh, as I, you know, have been doing some of that reflection and some of that rest over the last couple days, um, there's a lot to be grateful for. Like, there's just decisions that I didn't really know why I made the decisions, but I'm just grateful that God almost made the decision for me. And there's things that I could see in other people's lives that I'm not too far off from them. I don't know why God would move me here and not move that person to the other place. And, and so I'm grateful. But sometimes when you're 38 or 39 or 40 like me and you look back, inside of that gratitude, you also have some regrets. And it's funny about these regrets. They're the kind of regrets that I didn't think that I would have when I was 20. They're, they're the kind of regrets that I think just take time to like help you understand and illustrate what what to regret or what, what matters in, in terms of being grateful and, and, and regretting. And one of the things I definitely regret in my 38 years of life in ministry is the effect of religion in my life. I, I can remember times, you know, coming into Christianity, probably for all good intentions, and maybe the momentum of the crowd I was running with, or maybe the influence of some of the, the songs or the sermons that I was listening to. And there was like this bullet train that I was excited about early in my faith that I wanted to change the world yesterday. And honestly, walking with Jesus and people that I love and walking in this church, like some of it was the gift of the Holy Spirit, but a lot of it was just my own personal enthusiasm to want to matter. And unfortunately, when we get involved with ministry like that on those terms, it's hard to tell the difference between what man is doing and what God is doing. And we run that fast on bullet trains in ministry, and we run people over, and we throw people off the bus, and we, we create these, um, these false, you know, shiny, really, idols within the church that challenge and some, sometimes ruin people's faith, and that's the kind of stuff that I regret. Because I think in those, in those decisions, in those areas of ministry and life, those are the places in religion that I missed out on the relationship with Jesus, because I was so excited about mattering and doing something that had attention, that wanted to be successful, that I traded relationship for religion. I regret um, early in years and even now exchanging the opportunity of being a son to trying to be a superhero. I'm a three on the Enneagram, and I'm an only child, and I want to win. I didn't come here to lose. This is the GOAT year, guys, 2023. But there's a lot to be missed when you go through life with your family and your church and the ones you love, and you perform instead of share. When you have no needs, when you want to be the giver and never the receiver, when you never 
come forward to be real and uh, you always want to be the rescuer, you miss out on a lot. You miss out on being a son for the sake of being a superhero. And so there's actually two times that I can think of, like Jesus weeps in the scriptures. Obviously, the first one that comes to mind is Lazarus. You know, he weeps over the death of his, his friend Lazarus. But another time that I don't think we talk about as much is he also weeps over Jerusalem. Like if there's any antagonist that Jesus squares up against more than any other group of people in this book through the Gospels, and really Paul has to contend with in the book of Acts and the early church in the book of Acts, it's not the sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes that he's running into. It's the religious. It's the religious spirit. And Jesus shows like in all of his kind of like sharpness and confrontational nature that he has with all the Pharisees that he runs in through Matthew through John, he doesn't envy them. He's not threatened by them as much as he just pities them. Works can't really disturb the grace that we have in our life, but they can waste our years. They can have us exchange the authentic for the fake. God's power for our power. They can have us exchange intimacy for isolation. Like works can't mess up grace in our life, but they can take a lot of our years and we wouldn't know what happened until they were gone. And if there's anything that I probably regret in these days, it's that. It is... um, it is, it is, is not walking, is, is, is seeing grace and deciding I know better and turning the other direction. And so I don't think it's necessarily bad to have goals. Like if you don't have intentions for your life, there's plenty of Instagram ads that are going to tell you what you ought to be doing in your life. Matter of fact, you probably have a couple of friends that are ready to tell you what you ought to do with your life. Like it's not a bad thing to have intention. Grace is not opposed to effort, right? But it is opposed to earning. And so I just want to reflect on some of these passages in front of us in Ephesians chapter 2. Like, God is good with your goals. He's going to use your goals. He's going to shape your goals. He's going to cancel some of your goals because he's got better goals for you. But his goals are greater. His grace is greater than your goals. And his, his grace in your life today is, is, is moving towards you even when you run away from it. It's stronger and more propelling than your goals. And it is it is. It is trying to give you his grace um, to protect you from being an actor, from being isolated, from being fear-motivated, that his grace is enough for you in 2023. So let's just look at this passage together and um, see what the Lord might say. As, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin, and we, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, and the spirit who is now at work, and those who are disobedient. So he hit you with the trifecta right there. Like, uh, sin is not just a problem, it's a prison. And it's undefeated without the blood of Jesus. Sin is the world, is the sway of the materialism and the racism and the bigotry and the self-help and the me-first culture. Like, it's invincible. But if that wasn't enough, it's not just the sway of the world, it's the ruler of the kingdom of, of the air, it's the, it's the prince of evil, is what Ephesians says. It's Satan. So if it wasn't just enough for a newborn baby boy or girl to come into this world surrounded by the sway of the culture, it also is whispered to, even in the middle of this church service, right? Into the middle of Christians and non-Christians alike, the jealousy and bitterness and anger and regret and entitlement and pride. There's a whisper, an accuser constantly. And not only that, Land, air, and sea, there's a third force among us, and it's called the flesh. 
that unfortunately that the spirit inside of us is made completely new, but we live in an old 38, 39-year-old body that's pretty used to doing what Adam has always done. And so we've got three things coming against us that we would need grace for. All of us, like the rest, were by nature deserving wrath. And so if I uh, saw you on the street and I just tackled you and you got up and you said, why'd you tackle me? And I said, I saved your life. The thing that you should ask me is, what did you save me from? I don't know if as a Christian you've ever thought about that. Like, this is what Ephesians 2 is getting at. What did, what did grace save us from? Grace saved us from death. Well, what do you mean? We got all these people that are walking around, they're all dead. This is what Paul is saying is that it's actually possible to be alive, but actually dead. It's actually possible to be alive or be, be dead and think you're alive, but not know the difference. Like, like the biblical worldview of death, like don't eat from it and uh, you're, you'll surely die. Well, Adam kept walking out of the garden. He didn't just drop down. Like it's not based on vitals. It's not based on physical measurements. It's based on the spiritual fruit that's coming out of somebody's life. So what he's saying in this passage is, if the ethos of your day is to scroll through Instagram continually unhappy and completely unaware and unavailable emotionally to the many blessings that you have in your life because you're so consumed by the belt that that model has on, that's not living. And it would be a preposterous thing to go on thinking that's living, but that's not living. If you were to go on in life and you have a low-grade bubbling anger beneath you and, and you are a powder keg ready to explode, and the only reason why that's not happening is because everyone else has learned to walk eggshells around you, that's not life. You might say that's life, but that's death, is what Paul says. You might be going through life as, as, as a people pleaser and... Everyone thinks well of you, but that's only because they don't know you. And you're liked, but you're not known. And that's not life, that's death. And the worst thing about that is that if you put somebody in the world and in the spirit of, 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 of the age and of the enemy and of the flesh for long enough, they actually can call life what's not life. There was an old Greek uh, myth about this couple. Uh, their names were Aos and Tithonus. And Aos was the name of the wife. And she was um, uh, going to live you know, forever. She had, she had the gift of eternal life. And so she went to Zeus and she asked for her husband to also have eternal life because she didn't want to live without her husband lonely. And uh, the only problem was is that she asked for eternal life for her husband but forgot to ask for eternal youth. And so the husband lived on and on and on and on and on and decades and centuries and centuries until he just got so old that she had to like lock him in a room and he would just mumble to himself. That would be... The one thing, Aladdin, you would not want to get wrong with the genie, right, is to ask for eternal life without abundant life because eternal life without abundant life is hell. So here's the question that I would have for you. Are you, are you fully alive if you were honest with yourself? Because this is what grace is doing. Like, grace is not project self. We are in a project self time. Self-care, self-promotion, self-boundary, self-improvement. Get to the gym, get to the diet, eat healthy, raise our kids this way. Like we're in a very selfie time. And the project that God has for you, that he's got you in the workshop is not to get into self. It's to get into salvation because we're born not knowing what life is. And grace has to come in and choose us. Grace has to come in and change us. Grace has to carry us because we can't save ourselves. It's a gift of God. So are you fully alive? This is the way that I would ask it. 
I'm not talking about your outer world, but your inner world. If I told you you could live forever with the life that you have now, not the life that you're going to get tomorrow, but the life that you have now, would you want to live the life you're living forever? Would that be heaven or hell? Because that is what Paul is saying. It's not later. It is now that life is available in Christ. And we're fooling ourselves if we have some type of a category that we call alive that has vitals, that has no spiritual fruit in it whatsoever. That's death to him. And he's saying, so you have to understand the bad news to understand the good news. He came not to give us self-help manuals, but to give us salvation, to bring us from spiritual death to spiritual life. And I hope that the years have not been wasted on you with works, that year after year, 38 to 39 and 40, that you are living a life that's not life. And so I think that's why he, he opens this passage like this to, to, to create the need and the plea that we might ask him for the very thing that he wants to give us in the workshop, which is life. So he says in verse four, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, has made us alive with Christ. That's the gift. That's the gift that he gave. Like I... Uh, uh, got a whole bunch of, you know, I've been talking about going to the gym or whatever. Kyra got me the cool Magellan water bottle. I didn't even know that I needed this with a straw. Man, that thing has changed my life. I'm getting hydrated. So good. I got some new Under Armour socks. So, taking advice from Jason Malone. He's the Under Armour man at Fellowship Greenville. I'm like all about the Under Armour now. So I got all the gifts. And, and Ollie said, he asked, uh, Leo got an Apple Watch. He was like, what gift did you get? And he was like, well, I got an Apple Watch. He's like, oh, that's funny how old are you? And he was like 14. And I was like, oh, I got an Apple watch, but I'm only six. And he showed him his Sonic watch that he got for Christmas. that has like the snake game on it. That's what a gift is. It's, it's looking at somebody and being like, I want to make this person happy. And this is the greatest gift that God has given us. He wants to give us life, life abundant. And even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace that you've been saved and God raised up Christ and seated him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Notice this past tense. And notice that it's not just up there, but it's down here, that it's right here and right now, that the life of Christ has come on believers and it's right here and it's right now or it's never. So, so this is the life that he puts up in front of us in order that the coming ages might show the incomparable riches. And this is its fully funded project. He's half done with the dress. He's half done with the poem, but he's not done working yet. He's still working on you. He's still working on me. And it's funded by grace. Like the gift of God that has come to us does not come with a receipt. It was signed and authorized by the cross, by Jesus. He signed it and it cannot be taken back. The grace of God is given to us. It's only by his love that he gives us. It's to show the riches of kindness so that someday, whenever the dashes on my funeral you know, tombstone come up somewhere in Greenville, that my tombstone, whatever it says on it, you know, uh, go Michael Jordan or whatever, right? That whatever stupid saying that I have on it, that ultimately what heaven is saying about my tombstone is look how kind God was to Oliver. This is the story that he's telling. It helps to get perspective, to pull back and get a heavenly idea, not just a mountain view, but heaven's idea about his life. Here's what God's doing in your life, whether you like it or not, know it or not, or participate in it or not, is God is telling a story in your life that is so bold and bright and vibrant that heaven over your tombstone will say, look how kind he was to him. Look how merciful he was to Brian. Look how good he was to Andre. Look how loving he was and, and, and persistent he was to Ross. Like this is the grace of God. It's like it chooses us and chooses us and chooses us. And it's just a gift. It's just because of his great love for us that he does this. And so this is what it is. It's not measuring vitals. It's measuring fruit. It's measuring what, the fruits of the Spirit, right? The very first fruit of the flesh is lust. You know why? Because the very first fruit of the Spirit is love. 
Lust looks at a beautiful flower and says, that's so pretty, I want to take it for myself. But love says, that is so beautiful, I'm going to give myself to it. And we don't start with love, we start with lust. And it's only by his grace that we are transformed from one to the next. There's a, there's a word that's repeated so much, like in the Ten Commandments, but also in, in, the lust, in, the, uh, in the section about fruit of the flesh. You know what it is? It's jealousy. It's coveting. It's like the thing that's on the other side of the fence is the thing that's going to make me happy, and I'm going to move heaven and earth to try and go get it, and I don't care who it hurts. That's what we're born with. That's, that's not life, is what Paul says. He says, you know what life is? Life is joy. Life is a gratitude that says, if I were actually to see the portrait in the mural that God is painting with my life, if I, if I could actually see what God is doing in its completion, I would never want anything else. Because I would want what God would have for my life than anything else than any other fence. I would be a fool to rush to any other fence because I want what, what the gift that God has for me, not the one that I'm creating on my own. That's what life is about. There's this hatred of this, this humming anger that, that shows up in lots of different words in the lust of the flesh, but in, in Jesus, there's this patience that I know whose car I'm in, so I know where I'm going, and I'm not in a hurry. And there's this patience that come, comes along. And so I just even felt like as we went on our little 2022 into 23 walk the other day, me and Kyra, like I could sense myself like ready to go and set out and take the world and set resolutions for 2023. And I have a couple of ideas of, of things that I feel like God's put on my heart. But you know what I really wanted to do more than anything just on that walk was just to be grateful for what he's done. Like, I just, there was just so much more grace there. I just felt like as we were talking, I'm like, look at what he's done in our kids. Look at what he's done in our family. Like, look at what he's done in our finances. I'm just like, I, grace is, it, it, it is not this thing that is like urgently humming us forward. Grace is this thing that allows us to rest because we know that no matter what we are doing or done, God's done is better than our done. And even the halfway done things, I'm starting to realize, like I'm late to the party, but I'm realizing even the things that would usually make me anxious because they're half done and I want to get them done and see them done, I'm sort of like, I know that I can't get them done the way that God's going to get them done. And I want God to get them done more than, than I want you know, to get them done. And even the things that are becoming disturbed and unearthed and shattered and shaken, you start to learn in grace, like he never moves backwards, he only moves forward, he only undoes things to do better things. And the, and the pain and the struggle that we're in, it's like, well, you've never been here before because sometimes you have to undo some things that are built the wrong way to rebuild them the right way. And you're thankful for even the things he undoes so he can do them the right way again in this workshop, in this poem. And so grace just, just, just teaches us about maybe not what's going to happen, but who it is, hands that we're in, the, the handcrafted workmanship that God is doing in our life that is catered exactly to our specific need. This is the grace that God has given us. So for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is from, not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. We are a handmade, handmade son or daughter in him who is making us and forming us. He created us in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so I think the pivotal question that we would be asking, like if we have our yellow notepad and our pen out and thinking about the new year, um, it's probably somewhere around the question of what's the difference between faith and works? Like grace is not, this is what Dallas Willard said, it's worth the whole entire book, whatever, Divine Conspiracy, that book, 2003 or whatever, the best book ever. But 
Grace is not opposed to sweat. Like Paul says, because of the grace that's on me, I labor more than all y'all. Grace moves you, man. Grace is not permission, it's power. It has power and it, and it anoints you and moves you to do things that you didn't want to do or couldn't do before. All of a sudden, in Christ, you are doing them with fluency because of his grace. Grace is not just about position. position. It's power. It's, it's, it's the grace that I've been given that changes me from the inside out, not just to change what I do, but also change what I want. And nothing can do that. The power of life cannot be given other than by grace, by the blood of Jesus. And so the question I think we want to be asking is, you're not measuring, did I have to sweat to do it? You're measuring, is it based on effort or is it based on earning? And so a couple of frameworks I just have for you there is, is the goal that's on your paper going to go and get something? Is it living for something or is it living from something? I think that's probably one of the litmus tests, the diagnostics you could run on an impulse within your heart. Am I doing this because of the approval that I'm going to get when I get it done? Am I doing this because the external circumstance is going to gnaw me and haunt me to death until I get it done? Am I doing something because it's my salvation or because I have my salvation? Is the, hue, is the, is the line of scrimmage between whether or not that's the law or grace speaking to you? The second question I would have is, um, is the thing that, that I'm putting my mind to, is it focus or is it fear? You know, like, I kind of realized this year that the reason why focus is such an issue for us, like people go to like, you know, Buddhist temples to go and meditate to figure out how to focus, you know, like, you know why we have problems focusing is because we're afraid of everything. We start and we quit because the threshold of our pain is too small and we can't focus because we believe our God's too small. And focus has to do with how big you think God's hands are and how sovereign you think that his work is. And so is the thing that I'm doing, like, is it sporadic and random or is there a level of faith and focus to it that I'm going to do this thing? What does Jesus say to Martha? You do so many things, but there's really only one thing that matters. And, and Mary's done the better portion, right? What is the one thing of obedience? If it's fruitful or not, what does it matter if it was done in faith? What does it matter if he told you to do it if you're unsuccessful doing what God told you to do, are you a winner or are you a loser? And so focus is attached to faith. And the last thing, you know, I would ask about is the check of your ambition, you know? Like, if you go win the world but you lose your soul, did you win? Like, we're here from Genesis 1 to Matthew 28 to do the same thing, to do with God what we couldn't do without him. That the tombstone on our life that we're living our casket for is that hopefully, I know heaven will, but hopefully earth as well will say about our casket, look how much he loved them. Look how much mercy and power and grace that he gave to that person. And that is the fruit, ultimately, the, the only fruit that matters, the life lived with Jesus is abiding and having much fruit and fruit that remains. We could live our lives filling libraries and filling bank accounts and even filling pictures in our memory albums, but not have fruit if we don't do it with Jesus. So this is the great invitation is that even to live a small life, a, you know, with Jesus is better to live, you know, great historical lives um, without him. And so I, I thought just in, um, in opening up our year today that we would cause our goals, you know, to answer to the grace of God. 
that list of the fruits of the Spirit, they're not actually goals for you to go reach, you know? The gifts of the Spirit are gifts. You ever meet somebody that's just funny? Like, they're just funny. They don't even have to try. Like, I'd have to sit there and, like, write jokes out, and they just, like, are funny. They look funny. I don't know. They just, like, have a grace for it, you know? There's people they can just, like, they get music. Like, Timothy is incredible. Like, you just hear this guy, like, on Sunday, let alone, when he just, if you just want him to play La La Land, like, on the piano, like, he just has a gift for it. And me on my best day is not nearly as good as Timothy on his worst day because there's a grace for it. And love and joy and peace and patience and self-control are not goals. They're things you have, and they can't be taken away. And so our choice today, it's like grace is inevitable. Like it's happening in your life because he chose you. It is a car that you cannot get out of. And his grace is provenient in your life, and it's continually moving you even when you don't want to. So the question is, is just like, are you going to walk in the way of grace or get in the way of grace? Are you going to waste your life with works are you going to find your life with grace? That seems to be the option. And let our goals and our, in, in, our, our intentions and our resolutions or whatever words that you want to use, may they be in the way of grace. I don't want to rub my hand against the wrong way on wood to get splinters. I want to, I want to walk in the way of grace. I want to catch what he is doing and I want to agree with the way of grace because this is the good and perfect gift that he's given us only because of his great love. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc. 